up close with Carlos Sang, celebrating art, entertainment and the human spirit. Uh, welcome to another episode of Up Close with Carlos Sang. My next guest is an award-winning writer whose new play exhibitionist is about to open the brand new King's Head Theatre. Uh, it's a huge delight to be able to introduce the wonderful Sean McKenna. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. It's very nice to be here. Thank you. Yes, yeah, so I thought we should begin by talking about the King's Head Theatre. You know, it's um, about to open this brand new uh, house. Um, yeah, how does it feel to have your play exhibitionist opening this brand new space? It's all very, it's all actually very surprising. It was very exciting um, when it, but it's all happened incredibly quickly. I mean, we, we only really started exploring like readings and workshops of the play around April, May uh, last year. And, you know, in less than nine months, here we are, the play's on. It usually takes a lot longer than that. And we're opening the King's Head, which is kind of amazing. You know, I remember the King's Head. I'm old enough to remember the King's Head in, in its, um, you know, glory days, but it was like the hottest venue in London uh, when, I, when I was young. Uh, and, and so super cool. And it's it's always been a favourite venue. And now they've got this gorgeous new uh, building next door uh, with this big, big space and a very flexible seating arrangement. So you can do pretty much anything in there. It's an incredibly flexible black box and it seats 200 people. And um, I'm not denying there's a certain amount of pressure in being the first play in uh, a new venue, um, not least because not just if you've got to get all the technical stuff right for the play, but they've got to get all the technical stuff right for the theatre. But it's incredibly exciting. And I, I feel quite honoured, actually, to have this opportunity. Yeah, it is really exciting. Um, it's always such a delight to visit the King's Head Theatre, and I'm so excited about going to see this brand new space uh, when they go and see the play. Um, and the, why staff, you... the staff are just lovely. Everybody there. It is delightful. It's it's a really nice place to work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, why why do you think um your show exhibitionist will sit particularly well in that space too? Uh well, it's now a dedicated LGBT plus space, and it's a gay play. But it's not only that. I think what we was aiming for, uh, Andrew Sickle, my co-writer and I, when we wrote the play, uh, was to write a play that was absolutely accessible to everybody so although it's uh it's a gay play about gay men it's not just about gay men it's universal it's not you know anybody of any gender any sexuality whatever can come and have essentially what is a really good laugh at the absurdities of human behavior um in this kind of fast talking witty comedy in, in in a style that i don't think we get to see much um anymore um i i think it's i think it's a quite a brave choice of them uh as an opening play but you know it's the depths of winter also everybody needs a laugh and while the play you know it's a comedy so comedy is always born out of pain but while it, it touches on all sorts of serious themes it is essentially a really good night out in the dark days of winter yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely really looking forward to it. Um, you mentioned um, Andrew Sickle. Um, how did you find that experience, you know, co-writing the piece together? And, you know, how did you split those responsibilities? 
How did we split it? We met um, through mutual friends at a pub in Richmond, and just over conversation, we um, decided we we found a shared love of those those fast moving, you know, bringing up baby thirties and forties comedies, Philadelphia Story, His Girl Friday, those those kinds of things, those those kind of smart talking things, and a lot of the writers of those plays and those films uh, were gay, but couldn't write about it then, obviously. And we just wondered um, what it would be like if they were, if they could have written about it, and if they were writing now about gay life now. And we just kind of said, "Well, we can't think of anything that's like that. Shall we write one?" And we did. He'd never written a play before. He, but he's an incredibly witty man. So I. <sighs> I kind of did the first chunk and then he did the second chunk and we did the third chunk together. That was our kind of like our initial starting method. And we just battered things back and forth between us and until it until it felt right, uh, really. And then we did a couple of readings, um, one one sort of for an invited audience, one just at home for us made huge adjustments uh, after that, kind of changed the whole structure. But it's been very easy because his instincts, he's a journalist, he, he is the editor of Money Week. So completely different background to me. You know, I write plays and musicals and adaptations from radio and all sorts of stuff. But the marriage kind of worked quite well. And I think we're probably looking at doing another one. I don't know what yet, but, but you know, it was a good experience so far. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it definitely sounds really exciting. Um, how did you come up with the title Exhibitionists? It's, uh, well, we struggled with titles. I find titles really difficult. <laughs> uh, this actually was a suggestion from the producer. It was called originally Private View because it starts a, a private view of an exhibition. Um, and he didn't think that was sort of enticing enough. So it's about exes who meet at an exhibition and whose exes then follow them. So it just seemed to cover all the bases. And while being quite a good, I'm quite fond of one word titles. Um, and it's also about, you know, the it's also about the way gay men behave. And a lot of gay men are quite exhibitionist in their, in their behaviour. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of them aren't, um, but you know we we cover these. Some of these, in, some of the characters in the play really are quite, you know, out and out and loud about what they want and what they expect. Yeah, yeah. I know that um, in a previous life you were also an actor as well. You know, how did you um, come to discover your talent for writing too? Oh, a long time ago that was. Um, I was an actor when I when I first started out and I'm really pleased I was an actor because I think if I hadn't been an actor uh, I wouldn't have understood about rhythm and subtext and all the on all those things and actually being able to look at look at what I was writing from the actor's point of view mm. uh, and, and seeing what they they needed but I I quite I fairly I started writing in my late 20s I think uh, late 20s early 30s and I was Better, I was a better writer than I was an actor, and uh, the acting work kind of dried up uh, for me because, frankly, I wasn't really very good. But I'm a much better writer than I ever was an actor. But it, it's you know when you're a kid and you want to be an actor or you want to, whatever it is you want to be, it, what what it is really is it's part of the world. You want to be part of that world, and I I wasn't going to get where I wanted to be by being 
an actor, but I really wanted to be part of that world. And I just love the process. Uh, I love the process of creation. I don't actually like writing when I'm writing first drafts very much, but you know, the, the planning and the rewriting and, um, and the shaping and the, you know, the cutting and shaping and, and tailoring it to the actors and all that kind of stuff. I, I do absolutely love, and it's a good way to, to be in that world and in that environment. Yeah. I mean, you're working with a very interesting cast of actors on Exhibitionists. And um, what have those conversations yeah. been like, you know, working with Bonner Logan and the cast on, you know, developing this piece and bringing it to life? Bronner Lagan is great. Bronner Lagan is so smart, funny, feisty, together on the nail. It's been that's been a real pleasure. We've got a fabulous designer, Greg O'Donnelly. We've got great lighting guy and video guy, all those things. And the actors are I love working with actors. I it's so exciting when you're sitting in a room and they're doing a, a scene and you think you know what's in the scene and then sometimes an actor will do something and you think, oh, oh, I didn't know I'd written that. That's really interesting. That's really good. And we've changed over the last nine months while the play has been uh, developing. I mean, we've, we've changed uh, certain aspects of certain characters a couple of times just to try and find exactly the right balance. And then when we cast it, um, we cast people who were a little bit younger than I, I thought originally um, and certain people of, of different ethnicities to the ethnicity that uh, we were writing for and they've all brought their own kind of unique thing to it and you're able to to shape and tailor precisely for that cast which is a real luxury. Yeah. Were there any parts of your scripts which you felt particularly protective of and that you didn't want to, you know, perhaps um, change or tailor at all? Uh, anything I, anything we didn't want, we really didn't want to, to change, we absolutely didn't. We stuck to our guns. There wasn't very much. We weren't asked to. I mean, we've had we've had some trims for length. We've had some trims for repetition but most of what we created stay pretty solid. And then once or twice, there's something when you think, oh, that, that worked really well. We can push that a little bit further. We, we, we can go, you know, a, a step further, a, a gag further. So there are some really very unexpected and funny moments as, as the play goes further and further on. It becomes more and more farcical. And, and, and that's really difficult because Fars has to be absolutely grounded in, in reality and truth. And I might have said before, comedy comes out of pain. So, you know, all that has to be there. And it's really interesting watching the actors coming to their roles and everybody comes from a slightly different place. Everybody has a slightly different process and it all just has to come together in this final week. So we all kind of hit... <laughs> it's like coming out of the trenches isn't it it's like you've prepared for battle the whole time and now you're coming out of the trenches as a team to uh together over, uh, and um hopefully not going over the top but <laughs> but going into performance kind of with one mind yeah. uh, like it's uh, it's good yeah, absolutely. I, I know you recently had a big revival of um, The Lord of the Rings at the Watermill Theatre in Newbury. Um, how how was it, you know, seeing your work, you know, being done again after so many years? 
Oh my God, that was, it was amazing. What, I'd love the Lord of the Rings in London, but it, it, it got a very mixed response originally and there was nothing in the middle. People were either raving about it and a lot of people were, or they were, I mean, unbelievably abusive um, sometimes. Some, some of the reviews, you know, if, if the same show on the same night gets five-star reviews and no-star reviews, you know you've touched a nerve somewhere. So I was a little apprehensive when they wanted to do it again. But, um, and at the Watermill is so small and so intimate. And the times I'd always liked The Lord of the Rings best were in the rehearsal room before there was all the spectacle and all the stuff, because it was about the characters and the, and the humanity of the characters. Um, and that's what was just so brilliant at the Watermill, because it was acting musicians telling the story in a tiny space. It still felt hugely spectacular, even though physically it wasn't, it wasn't actually that big but emotionally it felt it felt big and it was very gratifying 17 years on to have it so well received and kind of received the way it should have been received the first time around in my head but it, it was great it was lovely and it's always nice when your back catalogue comes to life yeah when you were watching it did any aspects of the show you know surprised you as well at all we had the most extraordinary a central trio of um, Frodo, Sam and Gollum. And Matthew Bug, who played Gollum particularly, found, mined every single nuance, every single ounce of stuff that I'd written a long time before, but just made every tiny moment fresh. The three of them did. And, you know, I was very attached to the original Sam, uh, actor who played Sam, a wonderful actor called Peter Howe, uh, who died sadly very young, like, a couple of years ago. Uh, and so, and the actor who played uh, Sam this time around, uh, who was brilliant um, and whose name momentarily escapes me, um, was completely different. And it took me a really long time to kind of come to terms with that they wasn't I wasn't seeing Pete play Sam because Pete had always played Sam uh, in the thing. And once I let go of that, and it was such a completely different performance, it was wonderful. It changed the nature of that central um, triangle uh, at, at the heart of the piece um, in in a very very moving way. He he was very very quiet. Uh, new one. His name was um, uh, Newman Pereira. Uh, and um, it, it was an exquisite performance and completely different. So again, that's always the lovely thing when you get revivals and everything. You see things in a new way, and especially when a new generation are doing it, you know. Mm. Yeah, it definitely sounds really um, exciting, really interesting. Uh, and you've done, you know, some adaptations of very well-loved texts in, in the past as well, you know, from, you know, How Green Is My Valley to Ladies. I have, I have. I've done yeah. loads of adaptations of uh, the Foresight Saga uh, I did on Radio 4. And my stage version of that with Lynn Coughlin is coming to the park in October, October to December. Um, I did The Smileys. I've done, I, you know. I, I do a, a mixture of original and adapted stuff, um, and I'm good at ad adaptation, um, actually. Um, and it's it's a slightly neglected art, but um, it's exciting, I think, to to transform, take something 
and transform it completely, but make it feel like it felt the first time. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a strange old thing. Yeah, does it feel particularly daunting at all, you know, working on something that's already, you know, very well loved, like Peter Pan or, you know, Ladies in Love and the Lord of the Rings? Uh, Lord of the Rings, I really fought for. This is, I mean, this is a long time ago. This is 25 years ago um, when we started, before we started. And I kind of went, that's my job. I have to have that job. I'm going to keep on hassling you until you give me that job. <laughs> and it was, it was it started in quite a small way and I managed to get my feet under the door and um, I'm still in there hanging on. Everything else, um, not really. I've Interestingly, my very first play ever uh, was professionally performed, was an adaptation of How Green Was My Valley, which I did because I'd, I'd done something else and I'd sent it to uh, the Royal Theatre in Northampton. And Michael Napier Brown, who ran it then, said, "Oh, we we don't want to do this, but have you got anything else? We're very fond of an adapted novel in Northampton." Uh, and I said, "Well, um, have you got anything?" And he said, "Oh, yes, I'd like to do How Green Was My Valley." Uh, and I went, "Oh, how funny! I've always wanted to do How Green Was My Valley," which wasn't true. I mean, I hadn't read How Green Was My Valley, but it was a job, you know. And I kind of went, "Okay." And then I read How Green Was My Valley, having uh, agreed to do the thing, and discovered that the immediate family numbered like 36 people um in because it's a, about a big welsh family um and uh so my first play ever was had a cast of 16 on a revolving set and everything so it was kind of a big thing i never did the the two people talking with a table and a chair thing so i kind of began doing quite big projects and that's what people have come to me for ever since, really. It's no harder. In fact, in some ways, it's easier. Something something like Ladies and Lavender, which is was beautiful and, and beautifully played by Hayley Mills and Belinda Lang. Better than the film. I thought, well, I would think that. Um, was, that was, that was in a different way because it is so quiet and so little happens in it. And it's all about moment and character and nuance and all those things. So there, there's not, there's nothing kind of, there are no explosions. There are no, you know, there's no, nobody's running in and out of doors. There are no balrogs. That in many ways was the hardest, but in, in many ways, one of the most satisfying, I think. Though I've really enjoyed writing a, a comedy. I, they always say comedy is really hard work and it's true, but it's such fun. Yeah. Do you have an idea of scale when you're when you're writing work? You know, because obviously, you know, the King's Head, the Watermill, they're quite small spaces, and Northampton's considerably bigger. Um, do I have an idea of scale? You kind of write what the story demand, what the story seems to ask of you, what the story demands, and then adjust that to the space you've got available to you. Really. So, I mean. When we did The Lord of the Rings originally, it was the incredibly liberating thing to be able to write, just to sit at my computer and go, they go to cross the bridge, a Balrog appears, a creature of fire and flame, um, and Gandalf, you know, descends into the abyss. Because that's a stage direction that you know somebody else is going to have to deal with. It's not something that you're making up. It's 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 something that's inherent 
in, in the story. Uh, if Spoiler alert, I don't, can't imagine anybody who doesn't know Gandalf falls to the Balrog. Um, but um, other than that, no, not really. I mean, you always, I think I always try to keep things as simple as I can and not technology reliant so that, because it's about, it's about, it's always, it's storytelling. It's always about people and characters and narrative, but, and, and the simpler generally, you can do really complicated stories in a very simple way. I think it's better. Yeah. Has it gotten easier for you, you know, writing plays with more experience and as the time has gone by? It's kind of what I do. You know, every time, every new project seems incredibly daunting and incredibly exciting at the same time. And um, I don't think it's got any, I don't honestly think it's gotten any easier, um, but it hasn't got any harder. So I, I think it's just always been what it is. Yeah, I mean, coming back to um, exhibitions now, and what do you hope audiences will take away with them when they come and see the show? What I hope will be, this is um, a play about gay men for a gay audience and a straight audience and, and a general audience and everybody in between. I hope they will come and laugh at the absurdities of people's lives, people's love lives. I hope they will come and pick up on the serious things that are in the play about relationships and the shape of gay relationships compared to straight relationships and love, addiction, obsession. It touches on all those things, but it is, above all, a really funny evening out. It's a bright, short, witty, laugh-out-loud comedy that, you know, will cheer us all up in the long, dark winter days, I, I hope, of, of January. And um, it's a gay play in which nobody dies, nobody gets a horrible disease, nobody is abused, nobody suffers. That doesn't mean it doesn't deal with, um, you know, real, real things and real pain and real emotion, but it's basically a play in which five people do absurd relationship things the way that five people do and they are incidentally gay i mean they're fundamentally gay but they're also incidentally gay so it, it you know it's about human behavior sean mckenna it's been a huge pleasure talking to you today thank you very much me too i've really enjoyed it